And who commutes anymore? My current commute is walking up the stairs, putting on pants sometimes. And <laughs> you put on pants? Wow, <laughs> you're ahead of uh, you're ahead of most of us, I think, Andrew. It's only because I sit in front of a window. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. And today we're doing another I've Been Thinking About episode. And this is inspired directly by something that happened to me. So I've been thinking about how to deal with missed workouts. Um, I had a particularly long ride that was, um, well, indoors, um, given the current state of everything. Obviously, there's not much outdoor stuff happening. But it just kind of left me in a tough mental state. And the next day, I had a run scheduled. And I got on the treadmill at that point, And it was just, I knew within 30 seconds, like this, this run was not going to happen. So um, I, I got basically stuck in this position where I had to say, how do I actually deal with this if I want to get the work in? Yeah, that's a, a very, very common question. Um, if you think of athletes who are who are training for triathlon, but even runners and cyclists, uh, you know, if you're, but if we're, if we're talking about triathletes, and you have so many workouts to do and so much other stuff going on, just by the virtue of probability, you're going to end up missing a few of those. And the question of what do you do when that happens and uh, how, do you, how you think about it is a, is a really important one. So it's, uh, it's a good one you brought up, Andrew. Yeah. And I think there's, um, you know, this, this aside, I think there's people who are missing a few swims right now too. Um, that's <laughs> yes. probably a common, common one for people, but uh, we can't fully address that. Yeah, well, with swimming, it's 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 certainly tough. I think um, it might actually be the easiest one to answer because I don't really have a great answer for it, unfortunately. Um, for for those of us who are lucky to live in warmer climes and where the the authorities allow it, certainly where it's not prohibited by um, uh, quarantine or you know shelter in place or whatever kind of restrictions that are that we are all facing right now. Um, open water swimming is a really good option, right? So this is for, again, for folks where it is cool to do so. Please don't do anything that your authorities tell you not to do. Uh, listen to them. They are smart. They're not, uh, you know, blowing smoke. Well, um, depending on where you live. Oh, yeah, okay, yes. <laughs> let's, this isn't a political episode, though, so let's <laughs> let's leave it there. Fair point. Fair point. Yes. Uh, good qualifier though. Uh, so yeah, if you've got access to open water and you're either a polar bear or, uh, it's warm enough. I know our, our local Lake, Lake Ontario, last time I checked, which was admittedly a couple of weeks ago, was about six degrees Celsius, which is very cold. Um, <laughs> I know our friend of the show, Alan Hobda would be, would be totally fine swimming in those temperatures. Um, he, he keeps posting his, uh, his open water swims in Norway, uh, which are where, <laughs> You know, his water is no warmer than that, um, but he's well kitted up. And he, you know, he said that on, on the show that he was on that he's he he's not crazy, but I, I would disagree on this one. <laughs> May not be crazy, but he's crazier than we are. A hundred percent. Yeah. So but anyway, uh, if you're if you're anywhere where the water is warm enough to swim outside um, in open water, that's kind of the best case scenario. Um, and realistically, right now with races 
you know, being postponed and canceled left, right, and center. Uh, chances are by the time that races will be on the calendar, everybody or most of us will have at least two, three months to prepare uh, assuming a little bit of open water because chances are they'll, and again, this is pure speculation on my part, so don't send me angry emails that I'm wrong about this. But chances are there will be the restrictions on at least open water swimming will be relaxed way before we get the chance to race. So uh, I'm not super, super concerned. And obviously, you know, not obviously, likely there will be no swim records broken or no swim PR set uh, this year by folks, but you never know. And two to three months is enough time to, uh, to at least get yourself ready enough to uh to perform in the swim and of course in the meantime there are plenty of really really terrific uh dry land swim training uh that's available uh there was one that the challenge family of races posted and it was sent to me by another friend of the show michael erickson who who does his uh that triathlon show of course uh, and uh i'll put that in the show notes because it's a really really comprehensive excellent uh dry land uh swimming training especially pertinent now and the one thing I will add to this actually is that everyone's kind of in the same boat. Um, so your competition isn't really getting that much swim training. It's not like they have magical access to pools. There might be that, that you know, the odd person who has an indoor pool, um, one of the, the infinity pools or something like that. But mm-hmm. that's not the norm. So most of the people you're racing against won't be in much better shape than you. Um, however, Agreed. on the run or the bike, if you continue missing workouts, like uh, I almost did the other day, then you may be in bad shape and we don't want that to happen. Right. Where I'd like to start answering your question, Andrew, is by looking at the big picture and then I can address your specific case. Um, and this is something that, and I promise I won't be on the soapbox for too long, but this is <laughs> this is an area where I think triathletes, um, especially ones who are self-coached, they sometimes, you know, to use a, a cliche, they, they miss the forest for the trees or they, they take too narrow a look at their training. Um, and if you, if you do zoom out and you do look at the big picture, I am very confident. And for this, you can send me emails and, and disagree with me because I'd love to hear it. Um, but I'm very confident in saying that no one bout of training is measurable in a season's worth of training efforts. That is the effect of no, of any one training session is not going to be measurable. That is to say, you can safely miss any bout of training. I don't care what it is. And on race day, not feel the difference of that one session. So the kind of the generic advice I give to folks, especially people who are self-coached, is if you miss a training session, you've missed that training session, move on. If you have faith in your plan and believe that you're following it to the best of your ability, if you've missed that session, you've missed that session and you don't make it up. And that is the, there's a couple of reasons why I give that advice. Um, first being that, uh, you know, the, the what I just said earlier about no one session having any kind of measurable impact. Also, if you start making up sessions, let's say, you know, if you had a long run to do the day after your your hard bike and then you decided not to do it and then you moved it back a day or two uh, and did it then, who knows what you would have been scheduled to do on those days and then you're starting to, to compress or mess up your schedule. Um, this has all sorts of knock-on effects. The most obvious or the most detrimental potential knock-on effect is that you are not giving yourself the opportunity to sufficiently recover because you're compressing your schedule 
And then you have, you know, uh, that carries an increased likelihood of injury or illness, which, of course, is the enemy of all training. Because if you and you probably have heard me talk about this, the the number one component of success in in uh, any kind of training, but our training as well, is consistency in the practice of the of your training, and injury and illness, of course, the the number one and two enemies of that consistency. Well, one thing maybe I'll interject with is actually my exact scenario, and then uh, before you get too far along the path here, um, we sure. can place full judgment on the decisions that I made, and we can use that as an example, <laughs> um, because you know, going into this, this is the reason I brought up the question. I don't know if I acted properly or if it was a mistake. So, um, I, I typically do one rest day a week. And for me, those are on Mondays. So the, uh, the long bike I had scheduled was on Saturday. Uh, I had a long run scheduled on Sunday and then the rest day was Monday. So coming off the, the long bike, I got through it. It was tough, but, um, I got on the treadmill on Sunday and just said, yeah, this isn't really happening. So out of the uh, hour 45 I had scheduled for the run, um, I ended up doing, I think, 35 minutes, something around that. And it was pretty low intensity. So it didn't really feel like there was a lot of training stimulus, a lot of muscle damage for that amount of time at that pace. Okay. Um, at that point, I just knew I wasn't mentally in the game. And I said, okay, well... If I cut it off now, I'm still pretty fresh for today. So what if I leave this as my rest day and then shift everything to Monday? So I have a day in between the long bike and the long run now, and I can uh, I can schedule that leading into my next week of training. So it does put seven days in a row, but um, I wasn't pushing back or doubling up on any workouts. So that was my scenario. Um, so... <laughs> Let's start with the judgment. No, no judgment. Uh, so look, again, uh, to caveat what I'm going to say next is there's no ever right one answer because the, everything is so incredibly nuanced. So in your case, actually, Andrew, I think you probably did the right thing. Um, given that you are um, you had the day off on Monday, so you weren't doubling up on any workouts, depending on what you have going on on Tuesday, unless you have something like massively hard happening on Tuesday. So this is another point to think about what is what's coming up in the next seven days or so. Um, chances are, and chances are you probably were okay to make up that run on Monday with these caveats. So the first one I already mentioned, what do you have coming up in the seven days? Then assuming that you've been following a reasonable program and that hour and five minute run, sorry, an hour, 45 minute run that you did on Monday wasn't a huge leap for you, which let's assume that it wasn't. Um, Probably it's a fairly stressful workout, but it's not insanely stressful unless, again, you had a lot of really, really uh, high intensity work in there. You said you didn't. So I would say you're totally fine to do it provided that your body can can bounce back from a long run. For somebody who is a new athlete, for example, doing uh, uh, an hour, 45-minute run, even if they've built up to it safely, is still a big drain on, on their system, right? So both mentally and physically. So if you are replacing a rest day, which you typically have in your schedule, with a workout that is very taxing for you, that I would still think is a mistake. But in your case, being kind of the serial... Ironman competitor that you are, I'm going to go ahead and assume that running an hour, 45 minutes is not that big of a lift for you. Am I right in assuming that? 
Yeah, it was a pretty natural progression from where I was. I think the previous week I'd done an hour 30 or something. And uh, obviously last year when I was in Ironman shape, um, I was doing much longer than that. So it wasn't wasn't a big stretch in terms of right. uh, the, the TSS that I was accruing. Yeah, and that's exactly, you know, look at it however you want. But it, that's, the, that's the kind of the question that I would ask myself. Is this workout, to the best of my estimation, is this going to leave me or my athlete really beat up? And if, if the answer is yes, then I probably wouldn't replace a, a rest day with a workout like that. But in your case, given that the answer is no, and that's sort of what I would have suspected, then then taking that day to do it would have been okay. And you mentioned that, uh, you know, now you're going to have seven days in a row. In fact, you're probably going to have, oh no, you took the day off. We, we can say that Sunday didn't count, even though 35 minutes is not nothing. So if we count Sunday, you're really having close to 15 days in a row, but there's nothing wrong with 15 days in a row. So the, the, the one day off a week, prescription i know i'm getting a little bit off your off your original question but it's a it's a worthwhile sub point to address i think the one day off a week is not necessary right there are people who prefer to do it because they don't want to think about training one day a week terrific especially if they're not pros but if you think of i can't remember where i heard this this was not my original thought but i thought it was quite quite clever if you're thinking about trying to accumulate a certain amount of you know volume times intensity over whatever period of time that you have to do it. If you're trying to spread it out over six days, you have to compress it more than if you're spreading it out over seven days. So I'm a big fan if the, you know, if the individual I'm working with is okay with this to train seven days a week. Um, One of those days probably is going to be quite light, but um, it's easier to accumulate training stress, however you want to quantify it over more days, because you just have an extra day to accumulate it. So I'm not, uh, I'm not at all fussed about the fact that you train seven days, maybe 15 days in a row. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's actually an interesting point about compressing the TSS or the extra work. Um, cause I guess when you take it to the extreme, like say you're taking a rest day every other day, um, mm-hmm. which I think some people inadvertently do, but that's another problem. Uh, well, when but, you're starting uh, out, that's actually not a bad way to go, especially if you're a runner, right? So yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It but depends I think on where you are uh, in your development as an athlete. I think that's an important question I always ask. The, the one thing that I do notice that happens when people miss workouts is if you miss one, it becomes easier to miss the next. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one trap to avoid. But uh, as long as you're not missing too many workouts, um, like you were saying earlier, there's not going to be a significant cha- change to your, your race day fitness. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I get your point, though, where if you're doing a rest day every other day and trying to get the same average TSS, You'd have to work really, really hard on those days that you were on. Um, you would have lots of time to recover, but it would just—it doesn't seem like it would be nearly as healthy a way of uh, going about your training. Oh, it's not. I mean, you, as evidenced by the fact that no one who's high performance does that, right? And look, it depends on your sport, right? So if you're if you're a you know, a, and again, I'm stepping out of my sandbox a little bit. If you're, I imagine, if you're a football player. And, uh, you know, American football now um, and you are practice, you know, your, your training involves a lot of contact. You wouldn't be, want to be doing that every single day. I, again, totally out of my sandbox and just just thinking out, thinking, thinking outside. But, um, you know, for something that is much less impact than than getting hit in the head uh, in, in football, 
our sports. Hopefully, you don't get hit in the head in our sports too much, uh, other than open water <laughs> mass group starts. You're, yeah, you're not training properly if you get hit in the head off in the triathlon. <laughs> That's true. Um, then, uh, then yeah, you definitely want to spread it out as much as possible, which is why, again, totally sidebar, I'm a fan of doubles because, again, that's just spreading out the volume rather than cramming it all in into a morning or an evening workout, doing two shorter workouts in a day. Big fan of doing that kind of stuff. And I know that, um, for example, Lionel Sanders, he used to do, I think, 21 days in a row or 20 days in a row, and the 21st was a rest day. Um, Now, he often goes to extremes in terms of his training, um, and he is definitely not the the person you want to model your own training after just because he's a physical anomaly, um, which is, you know, what most professional athletes are. They can handle more training load. But uh, I, I do remember seeing that he had quite an intense training schedule. Yeah, and that's uh, you, you bring up an excellent point. So they most professionals are anomalies. You're absolutely right. But also they've been training for a very long period of time, right? So if you look at if you look at anyone who's successful, they've been at it consistently for a very long period of time. And no, and this this harkens back to the question I asked you about how much of a stress would an hour forty five minute run be for you? And your answer was not much, and that makes sense given your training history. But if we're if we're talking to somebody, this is why context is so important. If we're talking to somebody who is fairly new to the sport or fairly new to running, and they've never run an hour forty five minutes, the first time they do that, it's gonna it's gonna hurt. It's gonna they're gonna be sore for you know a day or two, depending on how much they've ramped up and depending on how how smart their training plan was. But um, you know that's comparing somebody who is brand new in their first year to you is similar to you know comparing uh, you know a fairly solid age grouper to some to a professional triathlete, right? We're just different and we we recover differently because our bodies are used to different levels of in this case physical stress um and you want to you want to more or less maintain normal right and this is kind of this is when we were talking to uh marco altini of hrv for training he brought up this point and it's a brilliant point we want homeostasis right we want to keep things more or less steady state we do want to increase the load progressively over time. So we want to tip a little bit out of homeostasis from time to time, or we want to nudge homeostasis to greater fitness. That's the best case, most sustainable approach. If you start going way outside of your normal, that's when you get hurt. That's when you get sick. And um, that's... uh, that's what that's what happens if you start try to do Lionel's workouts. And I've seen some people, you know, and he's really good about sharing this stuff on social media. And, you know, that's that's great because he's a transparent guy. But if you are somebody like me, you know, uh, somebody who's been, who's training right now, maybe seven or eight hours a week on a, on a very good week. If I start, if I jump in and try to do Lionel's workouts, I'm going to kill myself. It's it's not uh, it's not sustainable. Likewise, if you've only been in the sport for a year or two and you try to do workouts that somebody who's been in the sport for 10 years, even not at Lionel's level, that's also a recipe for disaster. Yeah, there's there's a lot of long-term physical adaptations that happen in your body. Um, like just as an example, the blood vessels, the, the capillaries that form in your muscles, I know yeah. 
um, long-term training provides more oxygen delivery to those sure. muscles to to aid with aerobic exercise. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why you see, you know, over time you see fitness improve, you know, however it is that you're measuring your fitness, your, your aerobic capacity improves for sure. Mm-hmm. So we, we talked about my situation here, but what if I were in another situation? So um, let's maybe go over someone new to training um, and also the case where you miss a workout in the middle of a week and you don't have a rest day afterwards because that's that's more likely to happen, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, I'm going to fall back to what I said originally is the safest easiest decision to make and decisions are hard because they all anytime you have to make a decision you have to you know it takes a little bit of brain power the safest and easiest decision to make is you don't make it up now there are there so i'll I'll go back to why i i say this so the 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 first reason i explain is that you know it messes up your schedule and potentially gets you hurt but I also have a kind of a sneaky reason for for encouraging folks not to make up workouts because most of us in the sport are kind of type A and we like, uh, you know, we like getting stuff done. And if uh, our listeners, probably most of them use Training Peaks and you're familiar with the color coding system in Training Peaks, green means good, yellow means, you know, over or under time and red means you didn't do it at all. Uh, we like to see green. We don't like to see red. And um and one of the reasons I say don't make up your workouts because then you you know you miss the workout and if it's and if, the, if you miss the workout because you just didn't want to do it this is the specific case I'm talking about or you were just you know too tired and too too lazy seeing that red is a reminder that you kind of you know you could have done it but you didn't do it and that I find is a is is a good um, motivator to not miss any more workouts. So to do the workouts when you're supposed to do them on time and uh, and not not miss them in the first place. Yeah, the um, the whole idea of seeing that visual feedback is quite interesting because I I could probably be classified as quite a Type A person in a lot of things. Um, and I, I do remember Michael Erickson actually having an episode where he talked about compliance and and eighty five to ninety percent I think is what he ideally like to see with, with the athletes that he coached. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate seeing red workouts. It was just, it was something that just puts me over the edge. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it is a challenge because a lot of triathletes are that type of person where they want to see all green. Right. So that's why I say no for those two and a half, three reasons. Uh, no, don't make it up. Um, but if you're a coached athlete, right? If you have a coach, then this, the, the the safest thing is ask your coach. Is is you know you're paying this person some amount of money to uh, give you advice and, and guide you on your training. Then the best answer is ask your coach. You obviously trust this individual, and that's why you know you pay them. Um, they hopefully have your best interests at heart, and they will give you the advice that they think is best. So. Uh, this I, I answer this question all the time from from the folks that I work with when they ask, well, what do I do? And I say, okay, well, let's think about this. This workout, the value of this workout is X. Maybe if it's not important, we just don't even think about it. We move on. And if we think it's quite important, even though no one workout is super important, then we think about what do we do? We want to change the schedule that is up ahead in order to accommodate this workout. So that's something that I do all the time for for folks that I work with because that's that's in my opinion the smart way to do it. It's not just to try to shoehorn it in somewhere where you have a little bit of you know I've got a lunch break, a longer lunch break on Tuesday and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do this you know this VO2 max to failure workout which are super fun by the way. 
um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get it in there. No, that's probably not the best idea. But if you really need that workout or you feel like you want to do that workout, maybe we move stuff around and then it replaces something else. So it's not that it gets uh, completely uh, stuck in there. It, it, the rest of your schedule gets massaged to accommodate that, that one workout. And I guess as a coach, you're the one looking at the the overarching goals and you know what you have planned for a given athlete in a given week and getting that training stimulus in that you want to see, you may know if there's another workout that's less critical for achieving those goals. Um, so either subbing those workouts or exchanging them or replacing them. Um, yeah, as a coach, I think that that would be something that would be within your power and within your knowledge to do that. Yeah, ideally, right? And there's lots of ways, as you as you point out, to to make it work, right? And uh, and again, if you don't get it done, that's really not a big not a big deal. It's it's crappy to see that red that red workout in Training Peaks, but otherwise, it's realistically know that it doesn't make that much of a difference. So. Yeah, the short answer is again, you know, you can safely skip it and if you're going to if you're going to try to fit it in, you just have to be smart about about fitting it in. The biggest risk I think is for people who are self-coached who are following a program. Because programs are dumb and this is one of the reasons that I'm very <laughs> reluctant to to write programs for people without any kind of feedback. I only have one athlete that I sort of do this with. Uh, and she's a quite a high performance um, athlete that I work with locally. And she, her, I'm not going to get into her case, but she's the only one I do this for. And we still talk a fair bit about what's going on. So it's not a program that I just write up and give to her for the very reason that there is no that I don't have an ability as a coach to make changes when I when I need to. And there are I would be willing to bet that there are more triathletes who are following a static program. I called it a dumb program, but a static program uh, out there than certainly that are being coached or even that are following more dynamic sort of semi-coached platform programs out there. Um, so that's probably that probably represents the majority of our listeners of triathletes, and uh, that those are that's the population that I think is at greatest risk of trying to make up missed workouts because they don't unless they're quite savvy and uh, and understand the the big picture and can see it um it that's the population that it, that's at greatest risk for you know injury or illness um in in trying to make up workouts when they probably should not be i would be very keen to see what some of these new ai based training plan generation tools um how they would deal with that kind of scenario um just because I know that um, while the static plans, as you mentioned, they they were quite popular, and I know Training Peaks they sell quite a few of those, mm -hmm. uh, which is fine if you if you follow it properly. But uh, it's it's always the fringe cases, the edge cases where you get into trouble. So missing workouts or having an injury or something, and then trying to resume the program where you should be as opposed to where you physically are. Um, that's how you continue to keep yourself hurt or sidelined. Mm -hmm. But I do know that a lot of people are working on these now to be adaptive and to be learning kind of as you're going along. Um, I don't know. I haven't used them personally, but this is just kind of a, an open-ended question. Um, I, I just wonder where they are because I think it would be quite interesting to see how uh, some kind of computer machine learning could take into account some of the changes in schedule like that. Well, you're right. They are out there. Um, and there's one that I can't think the name of. 
off the top of my head that's already out there. I remember looking at it. Our uh, our mutual friend Claire Duncan sent me uh, the link to it, and it's got some pretty big names uh, associated with it. But I just don't want to misspeak, so I'm not going to name anybody. Not that it's proprietary information. It's just that I don't quite remember because it's been a little while since I've looked at it. So this this thing is live, and it's. Uh, and it's uh, chugging along and taking clients, so you can play around with it if you want. I'll find the link for you, Andrew, and for anyone else who's, who's interested. Um, I also know that our uh, mutual acquaintance, Paul Larson, who's been on the show a couple of times, he, mm-hmm. through his Hit Science platform, they're developing one as well, which you know obviously is going to have really, really sound, evidence-based um, uh, foundation for what they're going to offer. And uh, so I think it's uh, I think the stuff is just around the corner, how good it's going to be and whether it's going to whether it's going to replace human coaches or if it's going to supplement what human coaches are doing. That's an open question. I think, um, you know, I, I don't see a world where human coaches will be completely replaced, but then who knows? Um, technology marches on. Um, but I do want to address the one thing that you said about how um you, it's easy to follow. Uh, well, you didn't say it was easy to follow a training plan, but you said uh, training plans are great provided you follow them correctly. And that's, I 100% agree with you in, in that statement, but I don't think that's easy. <laughs> I think that following okay. a training plan correctly is very hard because the where I don't necessarily agree with you is I don't think that um, deviations from the plan, missed workouts, illnesses, injuries are fringe cases. I think they are the... The, they are the, the kind of the fat end of the bell curve. They are the, the norm um, where most people will deviate, will have to deviate to some extent. And the, the kind of the, you know, the million dollar question is how do you deviate? And, and that's where really the coach or the AI platform or whatever it is that you want to, whoever it is you want to listen, your, your, your friend on slow twitch, uh, that's where that person becomes, well, maybe not the friend on slow twitch. Uh, that's where that person becomes uh, really invaluable. Yeah. So I think that's um, excellent points that you brought up there. So one other thing I'll say is, and this is another excellent way of thinking about it. And it's, it's really kind of conceptual because it doesn't really give you a very good tool to think about it. Um, and that is training is great or increasing training rather is great provided you have the capacity to recover and absorb it. And that's the real trick here. If you start making up, um, missed workouts that you may or may not have that capacity to absorb the training. So training without recovery, and we've talked about this and we've had guests much smarter than me on the show talking about this training without recovery is just kind of a down downward spiral it doesn't lead to adaptation it leads to injury and illness and and sad triathletes so <laughs> by by stacking that kind of training uh by making up missed workouts and and doing too much in too short a span of time uh if you don't have the capacity to recover from it and capacity to recover is a very complex complex conversation um, then you are really doing yourself a disservice. So that's an extra, that's a plus one for, for just, uh, letting that workout go. All right. Well, I think we kind of buttoned that up pretty, pretty well. Um, at least from my perspective, maybe some of our listeners have other thoughts or other questions to add on to that. But, um, in terms of answering my question, 
um, I was first of all happy that I made a fairly wise decision. So that was uh, that was a bonus for me. And then after that, I uh, <laughs> you know I well I was I was just happy that I was right. So, you were just basking in the we'll glow of, of your your own correctness. That's right. After that, my brain just kind of ignored everything else. <laughs> no, no, it was uh, it, it was very useful information. So I, I hope um, a lot of our listeners can take some good uh, value out of that. Yeah. Well, thanks, Andrew. Yeah. Happy to talk about it as always. And of course, as I, as I've said a number of times in this conversation, and as I always or frequently say in my hedge hedging kind of way, uh, context is, is everything. And, and these, these questions are always very nuanced. So the best way to address an individual situation is to ask the question. And this is actually a really nice segue into something that uh, Andrew and I have been developing, or we haven't been developing, but we're going to adopt. And that is a, uh, a sponsorship model for this podcast. So what that looks like is it's a, it's a premium subscription that uh, costs you a few dollars a month. And uh, we will be rolling out benefits of the subscription but for the time being really what you're doing is you're you're supporting the show and you are helping us make it and helping us cover some of the costs but the way the reason this is a good segue is because the one thing that we can offer you pretty much right away is uh an ama uh section that's uh, that you're going to have access to so if you've got questions that you want to ask either andrew or myself or any of the guests that we've had on or you want to have a specific guest on the show uh you can uh, through this through this portal. You can uh, let us know about that. Yeah, I think it's it's actually a pretty good opportunity because there's a lot of questions out there, and there's a lot of especially with coaching and uh, with my background with heat transfer and aerodynamics. There's um, a lot of misconceptions on the internet and a lot of things that people just can't find answers to directly without taking multiple years of engineering in grad school, which is. Uh, not for everyone. Um, definitely not for everyone, <laughs> but <laughs> I can't stress that part enough, but, um, yeah, it's, I think just a, a fantastic opportunity to interact with people. And really, I'd love to get to know some of our listeners a little bit better. Um, so this is, this is really cool. This is a neat, neat chance. Yeah. And not to say that in order to ask us a question, you need to, uh, you need to give us money. That's not what we're, that's not what we're talking about here, but this, uh, this premium subscription does give you a really streamlined opportunity to do this. And, uh, if you do want to check it out and if you do want to support the show, we'll be of course, very grateful. Um, I'll have a link in the show notes, uh, to our, to this portal. And then I'll also put it in the, uh, the social media feeds for the show as well. Yep. And this is just going to go towards covering things like, uh, the hosting services and, and those fees. So I guess we have a little bit of controversy that's come up recently. Um, someone calling us out on things that we said and, uh, you know, good on anyone who's who's willing to step up and say that we made mistakes because uh, definitely we can't guarantee that we're 100% correct on everything. <laughs> we try to be, but it's not always the case. Absolutely. And uh, look, we do our best to say, to be very uh, transparent about when we, what we say is is based on evidence and rigorous, you know, scientific inquiry, uh, or when it's something that we're just speculating on, right? Because, you know, sometimes it's fun to speculate as long as you're, as long as we're not uh, passing off our speculation as, as fact, um, then uh, I think speculation is fun and it's a, it's a good pastime. So this goes back to an episode we put out mid-November of 2019, where we talked about a lot of things, uh, including the new 
track bike for Team GB. And this was a, a really radical design with Lotus um, and, and the team. And one of the things that was obvious in the, in the design is the super wide stance of the fork. And uh, Andrew and I had speculated that the reason for this design was uh, to increase the clearance between the, the front wheel and the fork, which aids in airflow. Uh, but a, uh, one of our listeners on Instagram, well, not a listener on Instagram, but one of our <laughs> listeners reached out to me on Instagram and, and told me that the actual uh, reason behind the design was to sort of create a fairing for the rider's legs, to create a system for the the whole bike uh, rather than uh, the any kind of consideration for the airflow b- interaction between the frame and the front wheel, which is something I was admittedly uh, completely unaware of and uh, is a very good point. Because interestingly enough, in our episode with Victor Major of Venn and Velocite, he made that point as well. So clearly, um, clearly, this was something that the the designers had in mind in designing that fork, and uh, it's something that we missed. So uh, thank you very much for pointing it out. And if uh, if there are other things that we that you listeners think that we got wrong, uh, please do send us a note, and we'll uh, address it. Either we'll agree with you, or we'll politely disagree. But in this case, uh, <laughs> clearly this listener was uh, was on the right track. Andrew, what do you think about that integration, by the way? Yeah. So first of all, um, what ultimately matters is you as a as a system, right? Like the, the aerodynamics of the system are the important part. So your bike does not travel on its own and you do not travel without the bike unless you're running maybe. Um, but you're typically not doing that on a velodrome. Yes. So... um testing with the integration of the athlete is super important so the fact that this is being considered now um i think is a very relevant point it's something that um i know that talking to some bike manufacturers in the past they haven't had a great deal of knowledge about what's going on behind the legs because typically when you do a wind tunnel test it's with a static model so you're not getting that dynamic pedaling action um, and it also is somewhat dependent on the ratio between your airspeed and your cadence. Um, oh, so interesting. There's, okay. Yeah, there, there's quite a few factors in there. So understanding that full interaction is difficult. Um, so people have ignored it. And by people, I mean bike manufacturers. So the, the rear end of the bike typically doesn't get that much attention. Um, a lot of things are assumed and they just go from there. But um, seeing a seeing a bike like this, uh, is quite, quite interesting, um, where it's just that, that whole system approach that's being taken. So the, you know, using the, the fork as a preconditioning the air for going over the legs, things like that. Um, there's, I think there's justification in looking in industrial applications where you see, uh, stators to align and precondition flow. Um, even wind tunnels themselves use usually a honeycomb to make sure that the flow is aligned and doesn't have any, uh, inherent turbulence in it before it enters the test section. So there's there's lots of precedent for this kind of thing, but it's just uh, in bikes. There's this this level of detail hasn't often been addressed. Interesting. Yeah, well, it's uh, that's why you know that's why we have a podcast called the Endurance Innovation Podcast because there's all of this you know there's always something new and uh, and interesting to talk about. Absolutely, and it's always fun to talk about it too. 
Agreed. So thanks again to uh, this individual who pointed out this uh, mistake. I don't know your name, so I I, not, I would give you a shout out on the air, but uh, I don't want to I don't want to get it wrong because it's kind of how we got into this place in the first <laughs> in the first place. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave things off for this episode. Yeah, I agree. That's a, that's a good place to say goodbye. As always, thank you very much for listening. Uh, do rate or and or review us on your favorite podcast listening platform and consider supporting the show if you feel like you've gotten some good content out of it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks.